When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome into the Take Command podcast. I am Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. And Logan, there is one giant lingering question that seems to be remaining in the fan base after this NFL draft. It is about the offensive line, so we are going to talk about it this morning. Now, if we were doing the national media, it'd be like, why didn't they take a quarterback? But we're not, <laughs> not going to do that because we're not entertaining silly narratives. Uh, sure. We also are going to go around the NFL later in the show and kind of give our favorite picks, things we liked, didn't like, uh, I guess our least favorite picks uh, from the draft last weekend. But Logan, let's start with that offensive line question. And, you know, there, there's a lot of, I would say, angst, a lot of criticism about choices made around how they've built this line this offseason. This is the second straight offseason where you can say that. Where are you at with, first of all, what they did in this NFL draft, the players they took, the players they passed on, yeah. and where that leaves them now? Well, I think, you know, when you look at Emmanuel Forbes, I've talked about how much I like him. And I think, uh, you know, same thing with uh, Quan Martin. Like, they're both really good football players. And I think one of the things I remember on draft night is, like, when they went Forbes at 16, I thought that was the right move. And the reason I'm going to say that is because Paris Johnson was off the board, Skaronsky was off the board, and Darnell Wright was off the board, right? So all those guys, which I kind of had, like, that was not – Darnell Wright was a Tier 2 player for me, but definitely my first player in Tier 2. Then you get to Broderick Jones, right? I know a lot of people are very high on him, but I look at him and I say, only 19 starts, a lot of technical stuff to his game that doesn't make you feel, doesn't give you the warm and fuzzies about development. He's not going to come in and be kind of a starting caliber player right away. There's going to be some lumps. You know, I think he can get there, but it's going to take some time. And then um, Anton Harrison, who I was very, very high on, but again, not necessarily like a run first tackle, you know, not a guy that you want kind of in there mashing around. So if you don't, if those two latter guys don't give you the warm and fuzzies, and then I think everyone wanted to bring up Dewan Jones, and we'll talk about Dewan Jones in more depth here in a second. But um, if those guys don't give you the warm and fuzzies, then I'm not going to take Matthew Berger on at 16, and no one's willing to trade back with me. Like I'm going to pick my best player on the board, and for them it was Emmanuel Forbes. So I can't really, just from like my own board, I can't really fault that process. You know, right. Like that's not to mention they they specifically wanted a playmaking defensive back because they feel like they need to generate more turnovers and they went and got the best one in the draft. Right. So it's hard to be mad at that, which leaves us then to the second round in Quan Martin when Cody Mock was drafted. What one pick later? Yeah. Yeah. So one pick later. And again, like I think 
you know, depending on your evaluation of Cody Mock, I think he, I like Cody, but again, the thing about pick 40, was it 47? Is that 47. right? 47. 47. Um, is that I know, and, and I think, um, uh, Marty said this in the presser. He was like, I, we, we wanted to trade up. We wanted to get a, get in that kind of first 15 picks of the round. And if you look at it, like, I think guys that we both agreed on would be very good fits here. Matthew Bergeron and Steve Avila mm-hmm. were guys that they were very, very high on in that range. And I look at that and I say they just couldn't get into that spot because I think the rest of the league also valued those guys, right? Correct. And so those guys were the guys that I would pick at 47, undoubtedly. I think Tyler Steen might also have been in the conversation, but that would be very, very high for 47. So again, I look at my board and it kind of was the same thing that happened at the round before. All the tackles that are worth taking are gone. You, I, I, I think Marty said he wanted to trade up into that range. There were no buyers, right? Because they all wanted to pick those players. Teams are smart about evaluating offensive line talent and they overvalue offensive line talent. I don't want to take Tyler Steen at 47 and I can't now trade back. So I got up stick and pick and pick the best player on the board. And I think that's like when, when I look at my tiers and that was the funny thing about draft night because I was crossing players off as we went and I was disappointed, obviously disappointed. Matthew Bergeron's gone, disappointed. Steven Vili's gone. But when you're looking at the board in front of you, you're like, well, obviously Quan Martin's the best player on the board. So I'm going to take him. It was really weird going through that process and just being like, even even in the first round when I thought they might go edge rusher, like all the edge rushers I would take were gone. So I'm like, well, I guess we're going corner. Who's the best one? Emmanuel Forbes, make the pick. Go through the second round. Who's the best player on my board? Quan Martin, let's make the pick. And that's the problem when you can't trade up, when you can't trade back is you get stuck and you just got to take best player available. And I think they're excellent football players. That's the thing about to me. I think they're excellent football players. I think they fit a need. It just like, that's the funny thing about the draft is like everyone wants every people in the building at Washington, they know who the good offensive linemen are. Like when you like Ron in his interview, like he said this a couple days ago, he's like, I really wanted Darnell Wright. And I really wanted Emmanuel Forbes. It's not like he didn't want an offensive lineman. He didn't think that wasn't a need. It's just the guys you had high value evaluations on weren't there when you were picking. So what are you going to do? And I think that's, that's the frustrating thing about those first two picks. I think the process is sound. It's just, they couldn't, get the vertical or, or trade back what would vertical i guess both would be vertical right because you're going forward yeah. and backward right yeah um, get that kind of trade back momentum so I, I understand that's frustrating the fans but when you look at the board like i don't know what else you're gonna do yeah uh i will take one final victory lap on the carson wentz trade here that was a huge problem oh, you, for them in this trap mm, because it's a dagger isn't it it's, it's a i mean thank thank god that he didn't hit the snap the snap threshold and you're <laughs> right. out your second but that third round pick that they were missing was massive because you had yeah. no picks for 5050 picks. You had 47 and you had yeah. 97. And when you look at a guy like Quan Martin, who a lot of people think they may have reached on, uh, you, you can't risk him not being there at, you know, what would have been 70 something. I think, yeah, I'm really glad you because, brought that up. That's a great point. Because if he's your guy, which they really like him, they use a guy that they were targeting in the second round. If those offensive linemen were gone, like there's no chance he's there at 97. And yeah. so, you know, you, and, you and can't I think the other play thing, around and you point, can't trade up as much. To your point, like if you're picking at night, if you're picking in that uh, at, what is it? like the, whatever they're, they're the 16th pick of the, the next round. Like yeah. you could have probably drafted an offensive lineman at that spot and feel pretty good, like taking a reach or whatever trade capital. Like there's so many different things. 
that pop up there that again I, I totally agree with you like it was just a such such a long like drought of not picking 50 picks man that's so long that you got to kind of make a decision and like the fact that you couldn't get into the meat of the third round there i think was also probably a little frustrating for everybody something oh yeah so this is a perfect example so people ask me like why didn't they pick osiris torrens because that he went later in the second round and I did not have a very high grade on Osiris Torrance. I, I mean, I liked him, but I had Cody Mock and Steve Avila higher than him, you know? And again, he's a big guy that doesn't quite fit most NFL schemes, right? To your point, Craig, if you are picking at 47, a name that I just would like to call attention to is Wanye Morris out of Oklahoma. After he was like the next guy after that top tier of guys, right? He went, I think he went 92, is that right? No, that's not right. Something like that. He went to Kansas City. Let's see where he is right here on the board. He went third, the third round? Yeah, third round, 92. 29th pick of the third yep. round. So yep. that's a player that you could have easily targeted at the 16th pick in that round and been totally fine with. So that's something, again, like just not having that pick, good offensive lineman, a guy that is that's perfect value for Wanye at that 16th pick in the third round. You just don't have an opportunity to do it. And, you know, I don't know what their evaluation was on Wanye, but, like, Tyler Steen went really early in the second, so you miss out on him. I think he's an excellent football player. I really liked his film. But the next guy on my list is Wanye, and you're just in this in this drought of picks. So that's the thing that's frustrating to me, too, right, I think is that that Carson Wentz trade really inhibits your effectiveness in that round, and then the third right. round specifically. And that's what you get for making a trade when you're doing silly stuff uh, by – uh, bargaining against yourself. Like nobody else was trading for Carson Wentz. <laughs> they paid a tax to do it. And yeah. for some reason gave up insanely high draft capital. Yeah. It's so dumb. So dumb. It was dumb. Then it stays dumb now. Um, you know, and even if you liked the, cha the idea of bringing Carson in at the time, like that's not, that part is not hindsight. That is something is like, yeah. why are you giving up this much draft capital? Um, and by the way, the Colts ultimately take Josh Downs at that pick, a good yeah. receiver that wow. a lot of people really, really like. So they get a good football player. Uh, and also, I will say, this is this is salt in the wounds. So, Commanders fans, I'm sorry. If you want to be really, really sad today, go look at the what ultimately the Eagles got in exchange for Carson Wentz right. compared to what the, the <laughs> Commanders got out of Carson Wentz. Yikes. Uh, I think I think some of the like I think like Jalen Carter's a direct line from the Carson. Yes, direct line. It's, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's nuts. Um, um, but but overall, like, I think that the board fell in a way where they didn't have opportunities to take the tackle that everybody wanted them to take. And I will say this when it comes to, OK, so the third round, their compensatory pick finally comes along. They take Ricky Stromberg. I think everyone's pretty happy about that. Um, he's a guy that potentially starts this season. But yeah. then with Braden Daniels, there's obviously a lot of consternation. And I said this to a caller on the radio yesterday. I I'm kind of reserving judgment on that pick because he has something that you can't teach and he's lacking things that can be added, mainly right. weight. Right. Yeah. If you're like, oh, this guy's too small. Well, currently is your fourth tackle. So he, you got your two starters and then you got Cornelius Lucas and you could still add someone potentially in free agency if, if there's another Charles Leno situation. Um, but you, you got a guy who's got really excellent foot, you know, not necessarily footwork, but foot speed and yeah. that you can't really teach. And yeah. so if you can clean up his footwork in terms of technique, you can get him in a weight room like 
is he a future starter at tackle? I hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. And maybe whether it's, maybe he's a swing tackle and that's where he caps out. And if you get a Just swing five. tackle in the fourth route, honestly, like that's a good use of your pick. But I, I do think that there's a little bit of consternation around the offensive line that negates a reality that uh, they've done a lot to change this offensive line. Cause that's, that's right. the, the final point I'll make real quick. Logan is like people obviously uh, are correct in saying they did not address this O line enough. And what they had at the end of last year or throughout last year was not good enough. Well, they've got four new offensive linemen. If you count Cosme as new, cause he's going to a new position. They have a new quarterback and the quarterback was a huge part of their offensive line problems last year and a new coordinator. And the way this was schemed up was an enormous problem in terms of their protection last year. So you might not be, and this is where you, you start to pick nits a little bit is like folks can be upset about the fact that they don't like the solutions that the commanders have come up with. And if that's, if you have strong opinions on that at this time without seeing games played, okay, but you don't know that you're right any more than they know that they're right. Right. We just don't know, but that's the fun of, you know, doing what we do is like, we give our best guess and then ultimately we'll find out, but people can't pretend like they haven't done anything. They have four new offensive yeah. linemen, a new quarterback and a new coordinator. Like, They've made significant changes. Let's just be honest about the fact that a lot of people don't like the changes. Yeah, and I think going back to the draft for a second, you know, and I think the changes are good. I think, you know, Wiley's a good football player. I think Cosme at guard, I think he probably projects better there. Um, you know, the, the center thing is unusual to me. Like, because again, I've been a part of systems my whole career where center is not really like a high value spot. You know, and I know Chase Roulier's future is a little in flux, but you have four centers on the roster right now. You know, like Ron basically mm -hmm. in his presser today was like, I don't see Gates playing Gates playing guard. I see him playing center. So it's like that's really unusual to have four guys that are just playing center, I think. Then at the left guard spot, you know, so center, I guess, by, by that logic should be short up pretty good. So three guys feel pretty good about. Left guard, obviously, a little bit up in the air. They got a little bit of a competition yeah, there. That's the one where – what the hell are they doing? I don't know. You better hope Chris Paul's good. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your debt. Your weekly source for all things commanders, right on time, your time. A list of household chores. Do them without missing a beat and listen while you work. In the car, turn mundane drives into memorable moments. With podcasts, you can maximize productivity and minimize FOMO. We're on demand, so we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time, baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. The, the thing about the pick at 97 that gets me a little, that gets the wheels turning is Dewan Jones is still on the board at that point. And, you know, I know Dewan Jones, like there was some weight concerns. There were some character concerns. There was a medical concern, which is why a guy at the senior bowl who looked like a top five player 
is there in the third round. And so my thought, my question to, to fans and to you, Craig, is, is the risk of that player worth the 97th pick for a guy who has top five talent when he is, when and if he is in shape and he's ready to play football? You know what I'm saying? Because like, and I look at that and I say, right. he's a starter. He's like a, I don't want to compare him to Trent Williams, but he's, he's in that top group of tackles that we just talked about that they missed on. He's sitting there at 97. I'm not totally convinced that Stromberg isn't, is not there when you're picking in the third, in the fourth round. So if you went to Juan Jones there and then Stromberg in the fourth, like, how do you feel about that? I know we just talked about the upside of Braden Daniels. And we've talked about on this show, you know, after the pick tremendous athlete, you see flashes of that elite kind of Trent Williams athleticism. It's super inconsistent, but it's there. So the projections there, but it, like you like you just said, I think you said it very nicely. There is a there is a projection element that he's going to be a swing tackle kind of at best in his career. Probably, I think, moves to guard at some point, as opposed to getting a guy in Dewan Jones who has these kind of off field character concerns, but could be his ceiling is, you know, top ten offensive lineman in the NFL. So I just wanted yeah. to get your thoughts on that and like how you how you weigh the risk and reward there because. You know, again, like I don't have access to all the interviews, to all the medical stuff, but it was enough that I talked to one of my buddies for a different team that they took him off the board completely. And so right. is there, is there, when does the, when does the value, when, when does the risk outweigh the value or whatever that relationship is? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, the, the lower, when does the risk threshold get crossed basically? Because yeah. the lower the pick, like if you take him in the seventh round or any bombs out, like who cares? It's, yeah. That's kind of, you know guys bomb out because they're not talented all the time. If they bomb out for a different reason, like you don't, there's no penalty for that for you as a team, unless there's some kind of embarrassing situation that you have to deal with. But to me, the, you said something key in there that makes this really difficult to answer because on a talent standpoint, it's a hundred percent worth it. And right. if Stromberg's not there, like was Whipler still there? And like, there, yeah, Whipler, the Whipler went in the like fifth. Was, yeah, so you know, Whipple they like, there. Bigger, but, like they, but they like bigger centers, and Stromberg is more sure, their type. Sure, so, like and again, and this, is not, this is not there. an indictment of Stromberg in any way. I think Stromberg's totally. an excellent football player, really, really good football player. But I tend to value tackle more than I value center, especially for a team that's got a bunch of them. And and it's not only here, but it's like even with the um, the Brain Daniels pick, like Carter Warren out of Pittsburgh was taken two picks later, who's also kind of more of a traditional ch- tackle. He has a medical concern. But when you looked at him play his four games last year before the injury, people were talking about him being a top 60 pick. So they have these two tremendously high upside players, one that could have been a top 10 kind of talent and one that's for sure a top 60 talent when he's healthy. But there's the injury risk with one, and then there's some character concerns with the other. So obviously Washington chose to go a different direction. I just want to get your thoughts on that, Craig. Yeah, I mean, so the thing there that you mentioned again is the medical. And I just, that's where it's not very exciting podcasting or radio or or television, but like you just got to throw your hands up and be like, I don't know if he's hurt. Like if there's a medical red flag and he's off the board, then like he's off the board. Yeah. And you don't put guys back on the board because they're all of a sudden a better value. Like you took them off the board for medical for a reason or potentially right. for character for a reason. Right. I, th- I think, I think with the one Jones, it's more stick. character. Yeah. It's more yeah. character stuff, but, and, and weight concerns, I, I would assume just talking to people around the league, no one, cause it's all HIPAA stuff. So no one's going to definitively say, Oh, whatever. But there's like undertones of, he looked kind of big at his pro day or whatever. You know what I mean? Like from other people right. that I've talked to and 
So I'm sure there's other stuff. He had extended uh, medical interview at the combine, right? So there's obviously something going on. We just don't know what exactly it is, you know? Right. And so I would say if the medical is not red flagged, right? If the medical doesn't take him off the board, it's 100% worth it. And you're 100% correct. And I think that is a fair and valid criticism. And, you know, the kid from Pitt, like, you know, he it was torn ACL, right, for him? Yeah, Um, week four of week four. So he's like pretty good in terms of timetable i think yeah like as long as he's healed like what are we doing like take yeah. take him um that that one doesn't make a lot of sense to me um but again that's without seeing the medical maybe there's yeah. something in that medical and in the recovery or you know they're scared that based off of this that or the other thing that he's he's at risk to do it again um or they think that he's not going to make a, a full recovery to the the, the peak of his skill set and he's going to mm-hmm. be a diminished version of himself and if that's the case, then like I don't really have a lot of ammo to argue back against it. Right. But like you said, like I would much rather have taken a value high upside tackle and then Stromberg in the fourth or another center maybe in the fourth than do what they did if that's the case. I just I wonder with Jones specifically how bad some of this stuff is, whether it is medical yeah. or character, where they it's just someone know. talks to him and is just like, I can't coach this kid. Like He's not, it's not going to work for him. He doesn't get how to be a pro and it's not, the talent is tantalizing, but like potential gets you fired and I'm not going to mess with it. I'd rather have someone who's going to come in, work hard and actually be in the league for 10 years versus a guy that's going to flame out after four because he's, he's not willing to put in the work or we, it's not worth the energy that we have to put in to keep him healthy and on the field because he just doesn't do the things that he needs to do. And like, it's kind of, if you can't, if you can't do the work to stay physically in shape, how can you how can we trust you to do the work to digest the playbook and, and do the things that you need to do mentally to play at the NFL level where you can't rely on your talent? Because the guy across from you is always as talented as right. you are and as big and as strong and as fast. And so and there I, is and there's I, a history I get that. Of, yeah. of offensive tackle, big offensive tackles with weight issues in college continue to have weight issues in the pros. And I will say at the senior bowl, he came in at 370 and he looked amazing. He looked like again, like a top five player. Like he looked awesome but i remember watching when we were still doing the take uh the uh the pregame show we mm-hmm. watched dewan jones remember we watched yep, him in this season he looked like he was about 420 pounds right he looked enormous and heavy and like you cannot like that 420 pound dewan jones is not going to be a long it's not blocking von miller right but three but 370 oh yeah man it's a party now you know what i'm saying but how often is he going to be 370 and i guess the other question is is 420 pound Juan Jones um, better? Does he have more upside than Brayden Daniels? That's that's a, that's a kind of an unknowable question, in my opinion. But again, yeah. like this is the type of stuff where like interviews become so important. And everyone, you know, I've gotten a lot of questions about Dewan Jones being there. The other thing I want to say is they drafted a lot of guys that they had third top 30 visits with, and Dewan Jones, his top 30 visit fell through. And I bet I, I don't know this, but I'd be willing to bet a lot of money. It was because he was out of shape and they were going to have him get on a scale and he wasn't in shape. That's what, that's what my gut tells me hearing all this stuff about him. So again, like there, there's a interpersonal relationship here with these players that the coaches have to have, which you, you highlighted beautifully there. So again, like I know it's frustrating and people get mad when they're like, Oh, so-and-so didn't, they didn't pick so-and-so player, but there's all this other stuff there that, that makes it a little bit more complicated. And, you know, potential is tantalizing, like you said, but it also gets you fired, which I think is a very good point. Yeah. And it's a little bit, you know, if you can't even stay in shape during the draft interview process, 
it's a little bit like how weed testing was, or maybe still, yes, still is. Yes, right. It's where like, it's like, hey, guy, they can't. They'd only test like over a two month period, <laughs> and you it's, can't. It's shorter than that. And it's it, like... as soon, it's, yeah, and as soon as they test you, you don't get tested twice. <laughs> So you can celebrate being tested with the biggest blunt you've ever smoked in your life and you're going to be fine. You're not going to get suspended for marijuana use in the NFL. And it's kind of, you know, I, I, I don't want to use this phrase, but I'm going to use it because I've heard it used by like front office people and coaches. It's like, it's kind of a big giant idiot test. Like how, how, like it's just, Hey man, don't for a couple weeks, just relax. Just, you don't need it. It'll, it'll be fine. If, if football means anything to you, you can lay off to, to Stephen A. Smith, lay off the weed <laughs> for, you know, a couple of weeks in the office. It's like, uh, it's like the, uh, there's, there's a running back who played for Minnesota back in like the eighties. And basically people were knocking him because he, they, they thought he had other interests outside of football. And, you know, I saw him give an interview. He was like, Oh yeah. I basically said like, I was thinking about going back to school. I was thinking about doing all these other things. And in my mind, I'm like, you are dumb. Like, I know you're thinking about going back to school. You think about get your master's, your doctor, whatever, but lie. Be like, football is the most important thing in my life right now. Boom. End of sentence. Like, it's just like, they just want to, it's a, te- it's a test. Just give them the answer they want to hear, you know, like stay in shape right. for three weeks. You know what I mean? Like keep your weight down and you're a first round pick and you're and you're swimming in money, right? You know, answer that right. question correctly in your first round pick. Like, that's the thing that gets me about this process, but it, if a guy says that to me in an interview where I'm, I'm his potential employer and he says, Oh yeah, you know, football is kind of like third thing I'm most interested in. I'm interested. Like, I'm like, I don't want that guy here. Cause I want someone who's like, who's who it's important to. So that always get drives me nuts. It's like, it's, it's weeding out stupidity. It's weeding out ignorance, I think is what I would say. And like, that's an important part of the process, yeah. quite frankly. I don't know if, if a guy, I don't know if a guy's going for his doctorate, I'm looking at that as a market inefficiency. I'm like, other teams are going to hate that. I'm going to take that guy and I'm going <laughs> oh, to get later. a stud. But you can take him later though, right? It's that's also true. That's right? also true. He's doing whatever he's doing. So I think, I think that's the thing for, just to kind of put a bow on it is I know there were, the, there were these other players around there, but there was medical red flags on both character red flags on one for sure character weight, whatever you want to call that. And so again, Brain Daniels, awesome leader, four-year starter, very in the type of guy that they mm-hmm. want here. So just kind of to flesh that out, like they have a type. And I think if you're being a little bit conservative, you always want to bet on the high character guy because they're going to develop and get better at football. So yeah. Um, and, and he and does have athletic upside, to be fair. Like yeah. I'm, I don't no, want to totally. dis- dis- dissuade that at all. Totally. And like, I'd rather trust Braden Daniels to put on 15 pounds than Dewan Jones to lose 30. Correct. And that's, that's kind of the bet that they're making. And at that point, it's a no brainer. Um, I do think the kid out of Pittsburgh is a, is a super, super interesting one. Um, that one I'd love to know more about. Yeah. Um, I don't know that much know, about, about him. Medical or. Cause that's you know, kind of where people thought he was going to go in that range. Yeah. And I just wonder if, you know, they didn't love the medical or if there was some character stuff. I know he didn't play like the COVID year. Like there was a lot of stuff about him. That was kind of just unfortunate, you know, like nothing to knock him against. Yeah. But I know that kind of might have rubbed some teams the wrong way, just like from a thousand Team, teams like their boxes checked nice and neatly. Yeah, um, especially when you're anything when you're that upsets the apple cart. Right. Yeah, they're not about that. Not about that life. Um, where does that leave? Let's do like one minute on this. Where does that leave them now? Do you think they can enter camp slash the season with what they have or do they need to bring in at least one or two more players along this line? 
Yeah, so I would say, okay, there's two there's two two universes running parallel, and we're going to talk about them in a minute. One, Brain Daniels is a tackle, right? Then you have four tackles on the roster. Well, that's not ideal. You can make that work. Sadiq can play tackle. There's some position flexibility, right? If Brayden Daniels is not a tackle, then you definitely need to bring another body in, just someone to occupy that position during training camp, right? Hopefully someone with a little bit of upside, and I think they're going to give Brayden Daniels every opportunity to do that because, I, like I said, he is he does have special athletic upside. So I want to see that too. I want to give him the shot to make that happen. But I am always like tackles are super hard to find. They're just hard. It's hard to find big athletic dudes who can move at – and occupy the the space requirements of the tackle position. So if there's someone that comes available, I'm bringing them in. And I'm really hoping that Chris and Sadiq develop. And if not, Norwell's going to be the starter. Like, that's kind of what I'm looking at. And I think you feel okay about that. I mean, he's a top 40 guard in the NFL. He's a top 40 guard. He's top yeah, 40. but he's a lot closer to 40 than he is to 15. Correct. Correct. But, like, that's okay. Average O-line play get you by C's get degrees, man. It's the same thing with offensive line play. If the five guys cohese and they do a good job together, you can get by. And I'm hoping, and I think Ron thinks this, I don't, he hasn't told me this. I'm just, you know, Nostradamusing this, but Mm -hmm. Sam Howell getting the ball out quicker and EB Colin plays is going to elevate that group in a way that was not elevated last year. So I think that's kind of what you're looking at. He's looking at a projection not only from a personnel standpoint, but also from a play calling quarterback play standpoint. So I think, and we've talked about that before. So that's what I think, but I'm always sniffing around for, you know, a high value guard, high value tackle that hits the market that just, I can plug in there. And I, you know, that's kind of what I'm looking at. I'm very much hoping that another guard is brought in. Um, I think Norwell's not, I think Norwell's going to get cut. Um, Maybe. I I hope that someone else is, is brought in all the tea leaves seem to say that. And by tea leaves, I mean things that Ron says out loud in the microphones Uh, because he keeps, he keeps conveniently. Yeah, no, he he keeps conveniently forgetting Norwell. And when he's always like, yeah, Chris and Sadiq are going to battle it out. And everyone's like, what about Norwell? It's like, Oh, he's, he's still here. It's like Norwell too. Yeah. Martin, have we not cut him yet? I thought we, I thought we talked about this. I thought, no, you, You yeah, said we, you were going to tell I, him that he's going to leave the party. Why is he still here? Right. God, that shirt is hideous. Hey, everyone. This is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. If you're watching us on YouTube, hit that like button for us. We'd very much appreciate that. And subscribe to the channel that you're watching on right now. And uh, if you're listening, just hey, take out your phone and, and hit follow if you're in Spotify. Subscribe if you're an Apple podcast if you haven't done so, so you do not miss an episode. All right. Let's go around the NFL, uh, the rest of the league, see what we think about their draft. Uh, we, we're not going to go through like every team or anything. Uh, Anthony and I did do that on the radio show. If folks want to check that out on our YouTube page or in our did podcast you really? for the Hoffman Show. Damn. 
Yeah, we went we went past uh, we did it after the first round. We did pass fail grades for every single team, which was which was uh, kind of fun. Um, but we and then we uh, just, only you know, the first round, though, right? Yeah, we then we did some winners and losers, but we didn't do every team. Uh, so who who are your favorite picks, favorite teams? How they how they did it uh, this this past weekend? I mean, this is going to sound super lame, but the Philadelphia Eagles, I mean, I, like they yeah. just played their board. They traded up for the best player in the draft, you know, like, and again, it goes back to that Carson Wentz, um, you know, situation and, and them getting uh, a really good football player and having opportunities to take more bites at the apple. And I feel like they don't reach. They're very good. They're very efficient. And I just think that's good process, you know, like, um, Nolan Smith, that's a crazy pick. Tyler Steen, an offensive lineman I love that fills a need for him. Sidney Brown, one of my favorite uh, players in the entire draft. Like that kind of box safety with, I think, some post upside. Keely Ringo in the fourth round. I didn't like him, but again, to get that kind of athlete with that kind of upside in the fourth round, I mean, like, I just love their evaluation. I love how the board fell for them. I think that, you know, uh, Howie Roseman deserves a ton of credit, and I don't know. Like it just, it's hard to argue with this draft. They get Tanner McKee, a backup quarterback. More Ojiomi from Texas was a guy that I thought was had some really good pass rush juice on the inside. He's their seventh round pick. A lot of people haven't had him a fourth round grade, people I was talking to. So the fact that that happens, like, I mean, they get really good football players, really good value at every level of the draft. And I also want to point out, they had two third round picks, which allows them to get those two Tyler Steen and Sidney Brown. And again, you were talking about this earlier, Craig, with the um, the you know the the desert of of the of a third round for the Commanders. And like there were a lot mm-hmm. of good football players here, late second, early third. And I think they were able to um, you know Philly was able to capitalize on that big time. So yeah, um, I'll say this about the Eagles draft though. Um, I do think it probably won't be as genius as it looks right now, even if it's very good. And yeah. what I mean by that is Howie Roseman did the thing that if you want job security and you're an NFL GM, you should absolutely do, which is take the guys everyone's heard of. Um, you, you, you go based off like the consensus big board. And I'm not saying that the consensus big boards are wrong or that whatever, but like everyone loves the story of, wow, he took all these Georgia players. Like, wow. Jay, I mean, look, Jalen Carter might be the best player in the draft. And part of the reason he might actually pan out is because he goes to a system in Philadelphia that can absorb his character and get the most out of him. You're not going into a room with Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham and not reaching your potential. Those dudes are going to be on you and they're pros and they know what they're doing and they know how to get the best out of their teammates. You've seen it with Josh Sweat and Hassan Riddick. Like, those guys younger coming up, getting mentored by some of the best in the business and some of the best pros in the business is going to help these players, whether it is Akili Ringo, whether it is a Jalen Carter, be the best versions of themselves. But you also like the chances that all these guys hit and like Nolan yeah. Smith works out at 238 and Jalen Carter puts it together. And Keely Ringo is the guy that we saw as a freshman, not the guy we saw in the two years since they got him dropped all the way to the fourth round. Like that's, there's just, it's probably not going to bat a thousand, but people are are psyched about it because of, of the name value. Well, for me, it's like the thing that makes the draft, obviously the name value is big. The thing that makes the draft are the two third round picks. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Brown, which Illinois. are players that a lot of media folks also loved, and but they might yeah. also love them for good reason. Like, yeah, like they're good not, football players. They're good football players, dumb. and I think that's why that's why I'm high on them. Right? Is because like yeah. I think Tyler Steen's going to fill a need for them right now. He's played a ton of football. He would have been a perfect fit here in Washington. Loved him. Like very 
very high floor type of pick. Uh, Brown, again, like one of those box guys, great attitude, you know, like a guy you just want to bet on. You know, so from a gambling mm-hmm. standpoint, they might have incurred a lot of risk with the first two picks, but I feel like they were like, all right, we have this risk with the first two, let's be safe here. Went back to a little bit risky, but I, I think I think the reason the draft is good for me is because they got two guys that are going to start for them, quite frankly, um, in the third round. And I think that's exactly what you want to do. And um, again, I go back to Washington, not having really a third round pick till later. And that's one of the reasons why that hurts them. So, yeah, definitely. Like, again, if they only hit on, you know, I don't know, let's say they got seven guys. I don't know how many they actually got, but if they got seven guys. If they hit on five of them uh, to the level that people think they might have, like that's still an incredible draft. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it is kind of funny to watch people freak out over everything the Eagles do because it becomes a little bit of a snowball effect. Yes, um, yeah, and look, absolutely. I have, I have certainly praise what they've done because what they've done is incredible from a process standpoint um but we'll see how it ultimately pans out um but we'll see isn't very exciting radio uh or, or podcast. <laughs> but it's so, true it's, it's like okay, i got one thing i gotta say the thing yeah. i hate more than anything in the entire draft is post draft grades i cannot stand that stuff it's like you have no idea you're grading based on your evaluation but like, so person A has evaluation, person B has evaluation. They're going to give you a completely different grade. And these guys haven't played a down of NFL football yet. Like, oh my gosh, it pisses me off so bad. But that's a conversation for another day. Sorry. I mean, it. it's kind of like the, what we're doing, just a different version. We're just willing I, to have a nuance and not I put know, a grade on it. But like when I see like, so for example, like um, 2012, right? It's, uh, Seattle Seahawks gets an F from Bleacher Report their draft. They drafted Bruce Irvin in the first round, Bobby Wagner in the third, Bobby Wagner in the second, Russell Wilson in the third. Like they have two Hall of Fame players almost on their in that draft and one guy who played for 15 years in the NFL. Come on, man. Like what are we doing? We don't know. And so like again, like I think what we're doing is we're providing context here in a way that is not F A B C D E whatever. Like we're saying Jalen Carter best uh before the draft, best talent in the draft character concerns which make that a little bit risky but i think it's worth the risk at nine um same thing with nolan smith he's a top 15 athletic talent falls to you at 30 seems like good value two yep. good players in the third that, to me that's what a grade is about right like, what kind of value did you get right. but also like we've t- I've talked about a lot on the radio this week and we talked about earlier in the week like people are killing the commanders because they took quan martin because they think it's bad value but like you know i had matt miller on the show on monday and he's like on my board he was lower but I, I get why they took him and have no problem with it because he fits right. what they do. I'm not right. I'm a scheme agnostic like board setter Person, because I yeah. don't I don't run a football team. Uh, but that, you know, players are going to slide up and down based off of what they do for your team. And that, you know, that's a good pick, even though it seems based off my board like a reach. And again, um, so like, yeah, I, I said I said yeah. he was the highest player on my board at 47. And that's because I try to fit my board to Washington for the commanders. So it seems yeah. like the right fit. You know what I'm saying? So that's again, where I would say, you know, like the national people don't quite understand. And he might be a bust. Who knows? I don't think so, but like, it might not work out. And that's, I'm willing to acknowledge that. So that'd be fun. That'd be a fun exercise actually to go back and be like, all right, we're going to once a week for the next couple of weeks, starting in like 2015, actually do draft (laughs) grades. Yes. Go back and see see how they, how they did, uh, in hindsight. Um, all right, so other other draft winners, losers, etc. 
I love what Arizona did. Um, they had Arizona. a guy that they would have taken happily at three with Paris Johnson. They trade back to 12, then trade back up to six. And in doing so, get a future first out of Houston, which might be the best pick in the draft next year. A draft that is loaded yeah. at quarterback in a year where if they are also drafting the top of the draft, they could have the first two picks and be looking to replace Kyler Murray. So it is like... I, the funny thing is, I think we disagree on Houston, which we can talk about in a second, but I love what Arizona did, getting Paris Johnson, getting that extra first-round pick. Um, I got to look at what else they did in the draft, but I I was a huge fan specifically of that move oh, yeah. because I think I think Johnson's the right guy, and I, and I think the way they... Like, they were able to do the thing that we, you know, talk about doing when we do our mock drafts of like, ah, we're going to trade down here. Now let's trade back up and trade. Like they actually did it in real life. And by the way, I also like a lot of their, you know, their next couple of picks, Ojolari in the second round, one of the better edges in the draft. Uh, Garrett Williams, obviously I love him because he went to Syracuse. And by the way, congrats to Michael Wilson, uh, second, second pro athlete in his relationship, because I think I mentioned (laughs) his girlfriend is the best player in the national women's soccer league, Sophia Smith. Uh, so kind of cool uh, to watch that play out uh, over the weekend. Uh, he, he goes like she, she's been a pro for like three years because she went pro at like 19. But congrats to Michael <laughs> Wilson um, out of Stanford. And then, you know, they get John Gaines, too, out of UCLA, yeah, who a player. lot of people really, really like in the fourth round. So I, I really like what what Arizona did from value standpoint, player selection standpoint and, uh, you know, getting that that future one from Houston next year, which is could be very easily. I I would bet on you know if you tell me top five pick or or later I'm taking yeah. top five pick with with Houston the way Houston set up this year. No, absolutely, and I think um, that's a this feels like a I think this gets thrown around a lot, but a, a franchise changing type of move, right? You get some really good football players this year. You add draft capital next year and a draft a, a draft piece that's going to be probably a top five pick. And think about the draft capital you can accrue off of that. Think about what Philly did. Every time they got that first round pick and then traded out of the spot, they just added value and the ripples effect of that that piece. And so again, like I, I love I like Arizona. I like they were able to do that, got the player they wanted, got more stuff. I hate, I don't hate. I mean, I strongly dislike what Houston did as kind of the mirror effect of that. So um and again, so Arizona did a good job. I think I think Houston, with where that roster's at, they needed to make uh, are we talking about things we don't like, or can we talk about this now, or should we wait? Yeah, I mean, let's talk about Houston real quick, and then I want to talk about Detroit to wrap it up. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. So Houston, just it bugs the heck out of me, because what is the what is the the actual percentage difference between Will Anderson and Tyree Wilson, or Will Anderson and Lucas Van Ness? Like, what is the actual percentage difference to your roster? And in that roster, as it exists right now, I'm going to say not very much. Now, in three years... Maybe Will Anderson will be better. He'll have a better supporting staff. I do think he has a higher upside. But also, I'm saying I need more people to fill this out. I need more youth. I need more talent. I need to just upgrade everything. And you're giving away picks, giving away you, you, for one player. And I just don't think that's that's good process, quite frankly. And that and that really was was confounding to me. I think and something that um, I found very frustrating, honestly. Yeah. So this is, I, I, 
I look at the trade as trading for CJ Stroud, not for trading for Will Anderson. Um, if you will, right? Obviously, they they ultimately take Stroud second and Anderson third, but they they had to already be in discussions and know that that was in the works, and they could have easily flipped that. My this this entire thing for Houston hinges on whether how much you like CJ Stroud and if CJ Stroud works out, because I think one of the things you can do with draft capital is move up and target guys, and and they did that. They had what I think twelve picks initially. They wind up taking like seven or eight. And, but and, and literally every pick after Stroud is involved in a trade in some form or fashion, but they get the guys they want. And and if you are yeah. right on those, you have built a foundation for your roster. And the thing about Anderson that I love, admittedly, and why I would have taken him, you know, over Stroud, in my own personal opinion, is um like he's the culture setter for the franchise. Tyree Wilson's not that. Lucas Van Ness probably is not that either, but Will Anderson, you know, I'll, I'll steal this quote. I don't remember who Landry said, said it, but Landry Locker who hosts on our sister station down in Houston said this on my show. It's like D'Amico Ryan's drafting D'Amico Ryan's and mm, to get that yeah. leader and tone setter culture setter for your franchise, even if it doesn't make you a good football team this year, like, okay. Like that's why I would have taken Anderson and figured out quarterback next year, knowing that I was probably bad this year. If you love Stroud, though, okay, you get your quarterback. And and then you don't have to worry about it as much next year. That's where it hurts, though, because the chances are, even if Stroud works out, he's not going to be very good this year. And you probably gave him a top five pick in one of the most quarterback-rich drafts in recent memory uh, in terms of how it's projecting out. And even if you don't need quarterback next year to be able to trade out of that pick and get more capital, that hurts. So that's kind of where I lose, I lose the pro-Houston argument is, like, I, I don't mind if you get your quarterback and your your future team captain and the two and three, those are picks well spent. Right. <clears throat> but from a value standpoint, I do think giving up a top, a, you know, a pick next year, unless you think that you have the ability to to be in middle of the, the pack team this year on the ascent is is probably a huge mistake. I totally agree. And that's the thing that really bothers me about it. It's not this year. It's not there's nothing wrong with Phil Anderson. It's just like, does he move the needle more than the pick you're going to have next year, the trade opportunity you're going to have next year, you know, where you can, you know, maybe get a good football player from another team. You can trade back into the meat of a round, get more first round capital for the after. It just seems like you could have built this team for three years off of this one pick, you know? And I think that's why I feel so good about what Arizona did. And I'm kind of like Houston scratching my head a little bit because they didn't need to take um, Van S or anything like that. They could have traded up for Darnell Wright. They could have traded up for, you know, Paris Johnson moved, uh, had him play guard. They could have done a million things to help this group be a little bit better. Um, and uh, and I think, I guess maybe I was not as high on Will Anderson as being like definitively the number one defensive player. Um, but obviously they were. So I think that that's something that, um, you know, I'm not going to second guess that, but I do think the draft capital thing is something I'm always like, that's going to, that's going to bite you in the butt, I think, moving forward. So, Yeah. All right, so last but not least, let's talk about the Lions, the most interesting team in the draft, probably. Um, I do think their their GM, Brad Holmes, should probably stop talking a little bit when he talks about, we would have taken Jameer Gibbs at six. It's like, are you taking him <laughs> over Bijan? Okay. That's, Maybe. That, I can see that, honestly. Tell us, tell us more I about can. how you have all the information. I mean, so what I, I, say, I know I, Jameer I, Gibbs is really good, and I know he's flexible and kind of hits, fits a mold for what they want in that offense. I don't even hate them taking him as high as they did. The, the Jack Campbell one, I don't, I have a little bit harder time justifying, but, um, 
I just, I, it's, it's, they play by their own rules. And if they're right, they're going to look like geniuses. And if they're wrong, then Brad Holmes is going to be out of a job and probably never be a GM in the NFL again. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I don't agree with this, but I can see what they're talking about because I do think Jameer Gibbs fits the NFL in its current iteration a little bit better than B. John Robinson. Like he's a satellite player. He catches the ball exceptionally well. He's like a, you know, a receiver running back. He's great in space. Uh, he runs outside zone well. So I kind of get what he's saying. Like, do I think he's probably hyping it up a little bit? Probably. But I, I kind of, if you tilt your head and look at it, you're like, okay, maybe. But <clears throat> I think that's a little high for running back, right? A. Yeah. But again, in a, in a, in a draft that's kind of devoid of offensive horsepower, I think that's one of the reasons why you feel okay with that at 12. Yeah. He, I think you also have to think of him as like, receiver running back right he's a guy that's gonna get 15 20 yeah they'll line him up 15 to 20 touches a game he's gonna line up in the slot he's gonna line up in the backfield they're gonna do a lot of different stuff with him he's fast he's really explosive like home run hitter yeah you know i'd love it even better if if uh, williams was gonna be there the kid from alabama that got caught gambling he's only gonna miss six games but like that offense with those pieces in, in there uh, that's a scary proposition to me that's so much speed that offense totally changes from kind of this smash mouth grind you out to a team that can just take the top off at any moment they have people that can win one-on-one matchups so it, long and short i do like the pick it seems a little still seems a little high at 12 but uh I, I you know i think that's just because you're thinking of him as a running back and not necessarily like a playmaker right but the jack campbell one is uh that one's harder to explain dude i absolutely love jack campbell i love him so part of me is like you gotta you got the best linebacker in the class you got a guy talk about a culture setter like holy cow leader smart very dan campbell-esque in terms of pick just mindset 18 they both seem high but again in a linebacker class that's weak dan campbell was like a guy in unto himself like i was like man he i would love jack campbell him. Dan, Dan Campbell, also a man unto, unto himself. himself, but Jack Campbell was on, yeah. on an island by himself. And he was one of the best linebackers that I'd watched the last four or five years, you know, like, um, you know, just his college film and what he, they were asking him to do. And that's including like Micah Parsons, like Micah Parsons was so raw at Penn State and Jack yeah. Campbell was like the opposite. Super well, let me ask you this going. then, because another linebacker that went in that same range a couple years ago is a guy named Jamin Davis. People were like, Oh, he's overdrafted, but like major upside. Like, I don't think people freaked out in the way that they freaked out about Campbell. Who's a better prospect, Campbell or Davis? That's a great question. Um, I think Campbell's a better prospect, honestly. You know what I mean? That's the case. Then. Okay, fine. I guess we're wrong. He's ready to play. Like he's like the best, the best way I've been able to describe him, I had to write an article about him, is he is Dick Buckus and Luke Keekley, like if they had like a child somehow, right? Just like this hyper physical brute, but also hyper instinctive intellect that you see from Keekley. He's been training with Keekley. Like he's going to, I think he has the potential to be something very special. I still thought he would go at 47. So I thought Washington maybe would go linebacker there and pick this guy. But obviously, like Fred said it to me the other day, and I, you know, Fred says some crazy stuff, smooth. But basically, like if you got if he's your favorite guy, like take him at eighteen. I'm like, well, trade back, do something, get out of that spot, because like if the consensus board is, and you don't know for sure, so I'm willing to mm-hmm. acknowledge that. But if I can get him at twenty five, that pick looks right. way better, you know. And and again, it doesn't matter because I, I I love Jack Campbell, I love Jameer Gibbs, I love I love both of those players. Like they're so good, they're so fun to watch, they're going to be excellent pros. But it just seems a little rich 
just based on the value of middle linebacker and the value of running back in the NFL. So, yeah. Um, and then they ultimately take hooker right later in, in that. So draft they actually had a really nice draft. They had Sam Laporta, yeah. who was probably, yeah, was that's, that's one of your favorites. A really good football player, really nice playmaker. Um, Brian branch in the second yeah. round again, like this is where I think it's interesting. You see teams with two seconds, Detroit has two thirds, right? You're able to get really good football players. Hendon hooker is like a value pick in the third round. Um, and then Broderick Martin, the huge defensive tackle out of Western Kentucky. Um, you know, like you just get people that are filling out your roster and like, that's awesome. And I think like, again, those two seconds, two thirds, that's, that kind of saves their draft in my opinion, because you get guys who are going to be good, solid role players on your team. And I think you get two really excellent football players even if they are a reach at 12 and 18. Yeah. On Branch, by the way, you know, yeah. Martin Mayhew said in the press conference, he wishes he had been a little more aggressive in places trading up. Yeah. He goes like, what, three picks before the commanders take Martin? Do you, do you wonder if that's one of the guys that he wishes he had maybe been a little more aggressive, trade up a couple picks and get in front of Detroit for Branch instead of taking Martin? So looking at that second round, I actually had for this team, to be clear, I had a higher grade on Quan for this team because of the position mm -hmm. flexibility, because he can play true nickel, he can play the post, he can play in the box. And when I was talking to teams around the league about Branch, I got kind of some weird feedback. And a lot of teams said, like, he's excellent, but I think he's only a box player. And that was a little bit surprising to me. But when you watch the film, it kind of supports it. So you're kind of like, oh, well, if that's all you think he is, then what makes him different than Sidney Brown? Right. Sidney Brown, the kid, this kid from Illinois, who's also a very excellent boss player, who's also a little bit more physical at taking on blocks, also a little bit more physical tackler. So you kind of say, well, if it, that's not as valuable as a guy who can play the post nickel, play outside, outside corner. And that's why I had a little higher evaluation for Quan for this team. In terms of players, I think they wish they trained up for. I, I, I'm I'm pretty, pretty positive. I don't know this for sure, but Steve Avila and Matthew Bergeron, right? Yeah. They go five and, what is that, five and seven in the round. And I just think those are the guys that they were eyeballing. And I think they, I know they tried to trade up in the second round. I don't know the details. I don't know who it was for, but I would imagine just looking at the board right now, those are the guys that they were like, we got to get up there and try to get one of those guys. And obviously it just fell through. So um, I think that's, the, the, if I had to put money on it, that's who I'd say they were trying to get up for. Yeah. Um, did you, by the way, catch Mike Jones with Sheehan yesterday saying that uh, if Richardson had fallen, they might have tried to trade up to seven? To really? Him. Yeah. Wow. I mean, there was a, and there was the report from Breer right before the draft that, uh, you know, Marty Herney uh, really, really liked Richardson. Don't Not sure how, how pervasive that thought was through yeah. the rest of the staff yeah. um, and who was talking to who and, you know, leaks out, whatever. Well, but that was that's interesting. You for bring sure. up a really good point there. Like, so, you know, you're around the building and like, guys, this year they weren't very talkative because I think they were trying to keep their list pretty close to the, to the vest. But in years past, you can get a, catch a guy and start talking to him. Like, oh, you know, hey, what do you think of so-and-so? Anthony Richardson, let's say hypothetically. And someone's like, oh, I think he's garbage. I think he's a fifth round pick, whatever, you know, hypothetically. Yeah. And then you talk to somebody like literally like five steps later, it's like, oh, he's the best quarterback in the class. He'll go number one overall, you know? And yeah. so like, just when you get those like little sound bites from one person, um, I, they sometimes aren't, 
aren't the truth for the organization just right to, to bring that up so right and it also is the kind of thing where and you again just, just I, I gotta say this i yeah. they no one told me anything about anthony richardson that was a hypothetical example yes. I, no one told me anything about the trap right. this year they were all very tight-lipped i'm talking like just as an example just to make that yeah, perfectly no, clear I, I, and it is the kind of thing where you wonder, like, as people look at this ownership situation, it's like, are we all going to need jobs in a year? And yeah, it's like, right. well, I'm going to go ahead and leak out that <laughs> I like this guy because that way someone else is like, oh, well, Sam, if Sam Howell goes down in flames, it's like, well, I wanted to trade up Trap Richardson. <laughs> I mean, especially when you're not the primary decision maker, right, then like you right. can say that yeah, kind of say stuff. Say whatever you there's want. No, there's no real consequences for it. So there's your there's your media hypothetical shenanigans at the end of the podcast all right next week we're going to go deep on the nfc east the drafts uh there all four of them well obviously we've went pretty deep on one already in washington but the other three teams and then see how the division stacks up we'll also be closing in on rookie mini camp so that'll be exciting uh and we'll see if we can get another guest on to talk about everything as well so that's next week uh for now make sure that you have liked if you are watching on youtube and subscribe whether you are watching or listening youtube anywhere else apple Podcasts, spotify the always free odyssey app i'll see you all on the radio from four to seven for the hoffman show and the team 980 make sure you're following uh all the commander stuff on youtube for logan and uh, following him on instagram at logan underscore paulson 82 for logan i'm craig we'll see you next time on take command